Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And today we're talking about minute number 22, which begins with the away team lowering down to the planet's surface and ends with Parker saying, hey Ripley. And today we have a guest uh, returning, Tom Taylor from the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast. Hey Tom, thanks for coming back again today. Hey guys, thanks for having me. John, why'd you call that an away team? (laughs) Um, I was waiting for you to notice that. Uh, Tom, you might not be aware. I guess you're not aware. Uh, In earlier minutes, we talk a lot about Star Trek. That's okay with me. (laughs) And Mitch might, he might be getting a little annoyed with me (laughs) making references to Star Trek. So I threw that away team thing in there. Just uh, I I was wondering if you'd notice. Well, I wanted to call him a landing party, and I realized that's not right either. No, (laughs) I guess the away team is definitely a a Picard uh, thing. So we're moving into next generation now. Um, Okay, so (laughs) but it does speak to the reality of there's no other film that gives us touchstones that we can actually refer to. I mean, right. this is a pretty unusual movie in that respect. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, my I assumption say, is... I'm, oh, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just, I'm constantly thinking about Star Trek when I think of this movie and, and how it is not Star Trek, but it, you, you kind of your mind immediately goes there. Yeah, I mean, my assumption is, and Mitch, you could speak to this better than me, on May 25th, 1979, when this movie came out, I imagine a lot of the people that went into the theater had watched... Uh, syndicated episodes of Star Trek that day. I think it was extremely prevalent Hmm. on television at the time and probably on everybody's mind. Well, not everybody, but at least the sci-fi community's mind when they went into this movie. As was Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars as well. As far as the crew dynamic and and so on, um, I think that's that's what speaks to Star Trek the most. So, Tom, when you said you were looking forward to talking about Ian Holm is that just because you like his character are you a fan of him as an actor or or where'd that come from I don't think I've ever seen a bad movie well okay I've never seen him bad in a movie before he's always awesome in everything he's in he's just like an excellent presence as an actor he's just always smooth and cool or smooth and weird like whether it's uh, like Napoleon and Time Bandits or this, or you know, anything, any of the David Cronenberg movies he's done, or Bilbo Baggins, he's always so awesome. But Ash is is just so weird and cool. Like he starts off as sort of like a cool, almost Spock-like character, but also kind of a jerk. So he's not very Spock-like. Right. And look, we're talking about Star Trek. Um, and then when his true nature is revealed, that's just you know, it kind of <laughs> you almost kind of go. Oh, of course he was an android. Of course. <laughs> that combination of quirks and brilliance and uh, jerkiness and uh, kind of separateness, that all makes so much sense. But he's just always, I mean, everything he's in is interesting. Well, we do feel in these minutes a certain sense of, I don't know, protection that he's up there watching over everybody. I, you know, He seems like he's doing his job and he's honing in on all the screens and he even gets frustrated at a certain point. So it seems like he's a good guy at this point. That's interesting. I, I kind of see this now, just looking at this minute, as he has kind of a privileged sort of situation here. Because I think they purposefully juxtapose his situation in the blister against theirs on the planet. They cut back and forth over and over. He has this nice, smooth rolling, you know, uh, gliding chair that glides into his uh, his little console and it's very quiet and undoubtedly a little warmer there. And then they cut away to the to the horrible 
like terrifying wind sounds and what's going to be very unpleasant on the planet. So that's a that's a matter of hindsight. I'm 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 kind of against Ash going into this movie now because I've always known what what he was. But uh, I, I think that's interesting that they did this juxtaposition between the two, um, between the blister and the planet. It, it also accentuates how the harshness of their situation as they're trying to walk to this to find this signal. Yeah, I always notice how uh, he it's so loud for those guys on the planet and their helmets and everything. And then he's speaking so casually and conversationally. And like my note is actually about like, God, can I even hear him? <laughs> he's just, you know, speaking the way we are now when they've got this, you know, crazy storm going around in their heads. But uh, yeah, like you're saying, it's almost like he's having tea and crumpets and they are you know, getting bombarded by this storm. And yeah, I do, I get that same sort of sense of like, well, yeah, I'm doing my job. I'm watching these guys. Um, I'll do what I have to, you know, not that he doesn't care, but that he is, uh, uh, yeah, he's in a loftier position than they are right now with that little wave. that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask about next. As <laughs> yeah. Lambert says, I can't see a goddamn thing. And then you cut to him and he's up there and, He's making you faces can see everything. at him. He's kind of teasing him, right? It almost seems like. And I've always wondered, ever, ever since I originally watched it, I think the first couple of times I watched this movie, I had some weird assumption that they could see him. And that's why he was making these hand gestures, but there's no way that they could see him. So what is he doing? Like, is that just for his own pleasure to sort of make fun of them? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little hard on Ash. Maybe I'm giving him <laughs> uh, too many negative traits here, but... It's like his finger waving is almost like his uh, hand jog. Right. <laughs> he did a physical jog in the last minute, and now he's just doing a little hand jog. Yeah. No one's and testing his smile too, I guess. Then. Oh yeah, and it is an awkward <laughs> smile. His smile circuits are working. <laughs> that is not an Ian Holmes smile. That's an Ash smile. It's very strange, forced, and you know. You know, this is the first time we start seeing the video imagery of the planet, which is a great trick because it's constantly shifting the way we see the planet. We see it in this mushy, grainy, you can see the lines on the screen, probably not really futuristic television, right? Looks like our TV. Um, and that's inter that's intercut with these people out in this horrible situation. I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that, Tom? I don't know. Yeah, the, uh, the videos, well, I mean, the first thing I think of when I see those video screens is, oh, James Cameron loved this part. <laughs> he yeah. went bananas with this. He, and he did. He did a great job with uh, using that as like a, uh, as uh, more of an action storytelling tool in Aliens. And he, and he did a really good job. I'm hot and cold with James Cameron. I feel bad giving him compliments because he's, I have a lot of issues with him, <laughs> but still, he, he knows what he's doing. But no, to get back to this movie, he, uh, yeah, those. I wonder if in if they were in the Bahamas and the conditions were perfect, if those screens would be working perfectly, or if it's just kind of like this sort of grungy, you know, steel driving, you know, trucker in space kind of, you know, slap together ship freighter kind of technology that is kind of a little bit always on the fritz. You know, these guys are not equipped to be doing this job of like space exploration. You know, they're here to like haul some stuff from point A to point B. And uh, this is kind of beyond their their usual uh, job description. I think it's probably another great way to not have the budget show, you know, the lack of budget. Oh, yeah. The fact that we can keep cutting back and forth to this grungy image every so often give you a really beautiful kind of 
production value shot and then cut back to that crappy image again, you know? Right. From what I understand, that was all shot by Ridley Scott. He was following the crew or the cast around with what was the off the shelf video recorder at the time. So uh, this is pretty far ahead of his time. I even when I read the that they had video recorders that you could buy off the shelf in 1978 or 79, I didn't even realize that they had those yet at the time. So he was this is pretty way ahead of its time. And Mitch, I think at one point we talked about any examples of this before. I mean, as far as found footage looking video in science fiction or horror before. And then, of course, I got to draw one more comparison to Star Trek again. Um, <laughs> In the original series of Star Trek, when they would cut away to a video, it was always like literally a scene from another episode being shown as if it was a right. camera set up. And, and there was absolutely no – you always had to ask yourself, where in the world was that camera? That doesn't make – and how do they have three angles of coverage for yeah, this where did they get a copy? Of the, where did <laughs> right. they get a copy of the episode that they're watching? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so – I think it touches back to Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. which was you know one of the first found – footage movies and also the just the rough handheld immediacy of texas chainsaw massacre yeah. which mm-hmm. scott has said again and again was a big influence but just being able to cut back and forth between three things now you've got ash's reactions you've got the video images and then you've got the handheld following them you know into the ship shots down on the planet you you can constantly build tension by going back and forth and a lot of times the instant there's something we want to see, he cuts away to another angle. So he's constantly teasing us yeah. through this whole walk. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, uh, we have to mention that Lambert, again, vocally complains about <laughs> her situation. That They keep reminding us of her oh-no status, as Tom put it <laughs> in the last minute. Um, but I wanted to step back for just a second and talk about the uh, production design a little bit in this minute. In the last minute, we saw them begin to lower down in the elevator to head towards the uh, planet's surface, but here we get an exterior shot. And the exterior shot is of the um, frame right there, lowering down in the elevator. On frame left, we see a massive landing leg. And I think this is an interesting story as far as the production design, some, some background for the production. Um, the production designer, Michael Seymour, we've talked about him in previous minutes. Uh, this is an example of them creating a large scale set that they were only going to use maybe once, possibly twice in the movie. That was very expensive, but they still felt strongly needed to be used to create scale. They made this landing leg out of wood and fiberglass. Uh, apparently, if you looked at it with the naked eye, it was as phony as can be. Um, but they managed to light it very well, and it's beautiful. Um, it's an extremely impressive set for such a small moment, but um, it was very important to spend a little money here and there to create scale for this movie so this movie wouldn't just fall in that B-movie sci-fi horror category. Are those, feel, those are kids, right? Those are little kids in think, suits to make everything look bigger, right? They are, and there's a... And I'm blanking on whose kids they are. It's really Scott's kids. It's Ridley Scott's kids, or yeah, is it the producer? It's Jake and one of the other oh, ones, really? and then okay. one of the producer's kids. Just want to point out, I think this is a theme, actually, that's going to come up from time to time. Uh, there's going to be these props and sets that the producers bucked against because of costs that I think gave the movie so much scale. So, Tom, did you notice that leg? I did not give it much thought, I'll be honest. But I, I uh, there are scenes coming up where uh, you do notice that that. Oh, they they went out of their way to make things 
look incredible either with the sets or as we were saying with uh, showing just enough to make you think that there's this huge thing going on. Because I have to say, I this landing leg never occurred to me before. It's just as natural <laughs> a thing in the shot. Maybe it's because I've been raised in a post alien world where these kind of things are they're always putting in larger scale things as much as they can and I do I wasn't raised on the low budget B movie sci-fi that maybe a lot of people that saw Alien the first time uh, was so you get a lot of mileage out of just these little touches yeah. you know All right we're going to move on to minute 23 John where can people find us You can find us at alienminute.com or uh, uh subscribe to us on iTunes or the Stitcher app we're up there as well Tom where can we find you on the internet you can find me and my co-hosts Pete and Jerry at the Indiana Jones Minute at uh, indianajonesminute.com. We're on iTunes and Google Play, and you can chat with us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I hope you come join us. And uh, we can't forget to give a shout-out to the Mothership podcast, the Star Wars Minute, uh, oh with God, yeah. Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer. Uh, make sure and check them out if you haven't. They are finishing up. As we're recording, they're finishing up The Phantom Menace, so they'll be well done with it by the time we hit the air. But you can go back and check out all their episodes, and we want to thank them again for loaning us the format. Well, that's going to do it for Minute number 22. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 23. Thanks.